what are the extravagant dimensions of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to really embody the depth and breadth of what's made available to us that we've never tapped into? Hey friends, it's Morgan Share here at Become Good Soil. We are so excited to be with you for part two of our conversation about Jesus as our older brother. It's a big idea, as you know, and hopefully you remember from the last podcast, but it often surprises us through ache, through longing. And friends, we're inviting you to join us in this risk. What if among all the aspects and dimensions of God's kingdom, what if part of the way God wants to come to us as a, is as a faithful older brother? If you haven't listened to part one, we encourage you to pause now and go back because that's really the prologue for where we're headed. But if you have, it's an honor and a joy to invite you back in. Let's dive in to part two. Sure, I'd love to talk through a couple of scriptures yeah. where we actually see this right in front of us. And I confess, like I've read it for years, but I've never allowed it into my soul. And the Catholics talk about this all the time, Jesus as a brother. And I've heard the language all my life, but it's interesting that just this year, right. I'm beginning to believe, now I'm beginning to see, and I'm beginning, beginning to live into it. Yes in a way that's so invigorating, yes. redemptive. You know, I brothered a young guy yesterday and I flipped him a sweet job, making some good money that's out of his, his right in his area of competency, but yes. big risk. Yes. And he said to me like, this is overwhelming and this feels like a big risk. And I said, absolutely. Yes. And I said, that's why you can do it. And I said, and I'm your oh shit call. Yes. So here's the deal. Whatever the question is that comes up, you just say, no problem, I'll get that covered. And then call me yes. and I'll help you. Yeah. Because I've done this before yes. and I know you can do it. Totally. So it actually is something that comes to us and out of our life in God and our discipleship that's already mature in other places, it begins to flow right. to other people in a really winsome and benevolent way. Yeah. I'd love to just explore some of the scriptures that you found this in and I found this in and, and invite Jesus to give us a fresh revelation. Totally. You know, buddy, um, I'm just real quick, I'm thinking of one more um, older brother figure, which is my big brother-in-law, Bob, your uh, Ashley's uh, husband. <laughs> Bob, I mean, he's just like, I know if I need anything, I could call my big brother, Bob, if I need joy, if I need a loan, like, I mean, I could call him and he would do anything for me. And he's just like, he's like, he would do anything for me. And that is an amazing picture also of just like, and he's got, yeah, more money than I do. <laughs> like more in some ways, like more, um, he spends more time having fun than I do. I mean, you know, so anyways. Um, but you know, Mo, this is interesting because it's been something that actually has been meaningful to me, um, you know, like with various degrees of intensity for over a little bit of time. Jesus's brother. So I just really notice how much I love this, that we're coming into it together. Um, so I just think it's fascinating that in the scriptures, you know, it's 
th- this theme of brother is so consistent um, in the scripture. And, you know, we think about it first in, um, well, yes, at least as first when it's overt in the scripture um, is in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. And we've talked about this so much, but how Dallas draws our attention to the fact that over-familiarity can lead to presumed familiarity, which actually leads to unfamiliarity. And I notice that the stories in Genesis, it's been a fight to have them come alive for me because somehow they end up, I know, being um, just like um, made very pale and colorless because of over-familiarity and I had to fight for them to be vivid. And so the story though of Cain and Abel and Cain as the older brother and when, you know, God um, exalts his little brother, Abel, and God then comes to Cain and says, Cain, like, I promise if you will trust me for abundance rather than scarcity, if you will believe that you're not in, in, in competition with Abel, like that there is plenty of room for both of you to be delighted in. Yes. And he says, "If like, won't I also lift your countenance? Won't I also make your face to shine, Cain, when... Um, when like when your heart and my heart connect, God invites him and then warns him and says, and Cain, like, like be be careful because the destroyer is crouching at your door and wants to seize, seize you and animate you with competition and mm. violence towards your brother. And, you know, we're just like, ah, and then the story goes the way we don't want it to. You know, Cain lets um, contempt, hatred and violence and competition into his heart with his brother and ends up killing Abel. I mean, it's such a sad story, like if I actually really let my heart go into it. So God at the beginning introduces the story of brother and like what evil has done to ransack brotherhood and siblinghood. I mean, it is in those, like on page four of the scripture, it's unbelievable. And so then, you know, as Bible Project has taught us to read the scriptures of take what the themes of Genesis and trace them all the way yes. through the rest of the scripture. And then you get to the story of Joseph and brothers and his older brothers being envious of him. And then, but then the redemption of Judah, where he becomes the brother who is willing to give him, like to, to say, no, I'll take Benjamin's place. You know, so we begin to have this picture of a brother. You see the goodness. The goodness of, of brother. And, but the like, oh my goodness. And then you, you know, down through the scriptures and then this idea that Israel was called God's firstborn, but Israel was unable to love, you know, they were meant, Israel was meant to be a conduit of the face of the Father, the face of God to the nations, and they just could not find that place. And then, and I know we'll talk about it more, but then you have the story then of all the way to the prodigal son where God's do, Jesus is doing so much in that story, but we see the older brother among many things, but representing Israel's inability to celebrate God's extending his love to the nations, you know, just that inability to celebrate the um, scandalous generosity of God to say, oh, I don't just love you, Israel. I love all people. And, and the older brother is just so offended mm. by the love of the father for um, all people. So the theme of brother, um, you know, obviously, and then Jesus saying, who are my mother and brothers? And the the king in Matthew 25, you know, when he's saying, like, whenever you, um, you know, 
gave a drink of water or visited a prisoner or sheltered someone or gave clothing. You did it to me. And they're like, Lord, when did we do this? And he's like, whenever you did this for a brother of mine, mm. you know, I never caught that in Matthew 25, that the king says, these people were are my brothers. Yes. They're my brethren. And then obviously in Romans 8, where, you know, Paul is saying that Jesus is, that Jesus would become the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So the theme of brotherhood, of sonship, um, being essentially connected to brotherhood, if Jesus is God's son, and we are invited into sonship. The same log like logic that Joshua saw as a, as a four-year-old of like, that means we're brothers. It's like, oh my gosh, that means we're brothers with Jesus if God is his father and God is my father. And so I just love that our, our father, Jesus, Holy Spirit is drawing our attention to this. It just feels so exciting. Yeah, I love Romans 8, as you said, that idea. God says that, Jesus stands first in the line of all humanity restored, that he's the first of the brethren. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing to then to begin seeing that the full revelation of the gospel of creation, creation lost, creation restored, one of the central narratives is Christ coming as our brother not merely as savior, redeemer, but as brother in a practical, pragmatic, supernatural power in our everyday life. And, and yet, yeah, Sherry, you're right. I mean, when I read the scriptures now, I see it differently. When, when Jesus says, don't cling to me for I have not ascended to the father, go to my brothers and tell them, I ascended to my father and your father, my God and your God. Like that Jesus's mm -hmm. posture is, mm -hmm. These are my brothers. That's who I say you are. And like you said, that beautiful passage when Jesus says, who is my mother and brother? I mean, Jesus is literally making the confession that every person mm -hmm. who chooses to receive it can come and receive him as our older brother. Like make wide the gates. The gate is open. Like the king says, come. And he's not just king. He's an older brother. I love in Hebrews, it says, and now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Literally says, we have the same father. That is why he is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said, God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your ascended people. And Cherry, this is so important to me because I confess, you know, we live under a lot of judgment from others. We live uh, under a lot of misunderstanding, um, sometimes we can't understand our own life. And it can be very lonely for me and isolating to feel misunderstood. And that pull to have to defend what you believe are your, what I believe are my best attempts to a loving, authentic life of integrity. And here Jesus is saying, I'm not ashamed of you. Mm. You're my brother. Mm. I get you. I see you. Not because you're getting it all right, because you're my brother. Right. And it's a wholly different posture of benefit of the doubt, of believing the best, of advocating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But buddy, you know, something that I think is interesting is that idea that for me, you know, him being my 
we, you know, we talked about in a previous podcast about what is salvation. And if we start with, well, we were meant for family, mm-hmm. then actually our older brother, if he is the one who returns us to family, yes, then that word savior, if it ultimately means rescue or deliverer, like he is, the older brother is the savior yes. to return us to family. That's beautiful. And so savior is actually, or rescue or deliverer for Jesus is um, to me a very brotherly, sorry, to me is a very brotherly term of like, oh my gosh, he's my rescuer. He's my rescuing older brother who says like, I will, like, I will I, I will come for you, sis. Yes. Like, I'm going to come for you, and I'm going to return you to the Father and, like, return you to my family, our family. And that's such a different image of I am rescuing you, not just simply from hell, but I am rescuing you to bring you home. Well, and he's right? rescuing me from the hell of isolation. Yes. He's rescuing me. He is rescuing me from right. hell. It's as beautiful. In isolation is hell. Separation is hell brotherlessness is hell, siblinglessness is hell. Like he is rescuing yes, me no, from Yes, no, it's hell. true. And one of the phrases, you know, one of our mentors uses that's been so helpful to us is we're wounded in isolation and we're healed in community. Yes. And you can trace that narrative arc. Even if the wound happens in a public space or around people, a wound is an isolating experience. Yes. And supernatural healing requires community. Yes. it That is the expression to come home to the family of God. And, and so, yeah, the scripture in Ephesians, it just, it, it's opening so much more dimension when Ephesians says, I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in all the followers of Jesus Take in with all the followers of Jesus, this extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its lengths, plumb the depths. Like it takes on new meaning to say, what are the extravagant dimensions of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to really embody the depth and breadth of what's made available to us that we've never tapped into? And I do believe that our biological story is meant to be a a gateway to the narrow road of restoration, for most of us, it can be an inhibitor because we just never get past that, right? We define Christ just like we learned father through what how we were formed by the earliest impressions of father. We also earn, G- learn Jesus as older brother by our earliest impressions. And for all of us, that has limitations, but for most of us, it has hurt, harm, and for a lot of us, it has trauma. And so the question is, friends, like how do we heal that? How do we redeem that? How do we restore that? Um, We have a couple of thoughts on that, but before we go there, I'd love to go into the story of the prodigal son for a few minutes. Would you be up for that? 100%. Because you know, it's so fun, Sherry. We've spent over a quarter of a century in the scriptures. Isn't that crazy? It is. Like we just celebrated this morning, 20 years of parenting. Our little Abby got in her own car, drove to school in a huff puff and a Wonder Woman <laughs> whirl wheel. And we look at each other like we're done carpooling, I guess, starting today. 
(laughs) So whenever this podcast airs, I don't know, but we're recording it on the day where our littlest um, drove away from home. And we've been in these scriptures for so long and they are so familiar. But what's so fun, and I mean that in the most substantive meaning, gladness, they take on whole new Mm -hmm. layers Mm -hmm. of insight, of manna, Mm -hmm. of orientation. When our hearts heal in our view of reality, Mm-hmm. When we don't just believe what Jesus believes, but we act as if it were so mm-hmm. and find it to be reliable. And so I've been in the story of the prodigal son afresh, and I am I am reading it like I've never read it before. It's crazy. And there's two big ideas. The one is for another podcast that is just the most blow my mind idea. But the second one of the greatest failure, the greatest tragedy in the story for me is the older brother. Because we don't know what happens, but the story gives no indication of restoration, of repentance, of freedom, of integration. He's left isolated detached from his younger brother and from his father. He's left unable to be the loving older brother that the prodigal son needs. He is left unable to receive the inheritance being offered by his father. And he's never left. And therefore he's never able to really come home. You know, as you guys know, the story of the prodigal son, and I love it, the title in Luke's gospel and the message is the story of the lost son. And I can't wait to sit down with uh, Papa Gino in heaven and say, I wonder why you didn't title it the story of the two lost sons. Yes. And I think that's the big revelation for me. Both were equally lost, but only one came to an awareness of the depth of his depravity and turned and came home to the father. Yes. And so what we see is a two sons. And what's interesting is I read into the story um, at a minimum complexity in their relationship with their dad. We see that father's response to a repentant son, but we don't see is why. Why the condition of two sons that are clearly detached from intimacy and knowing and being known in relationship with their father. And so the first son, the younger son, takes the inheritance and he takes off and he squanders it. And and if you haven't heard the podcast quick or read the blog quick, you know, it's sort of a more artistic version of that story to take our hearts into it. But as you all know, he goes and squanders it all. And then he comes, the scriptures say, he was brought to his senses when he found himself lacking and in desperate need. And so the younger son turns back to home. And the the part of the story that always is brought to our attention is the father's response. When he was still a long way off, the father saw him, his heart pounding. The father ran out, embraced his son, kissed him. And the son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. 
and the beauty of the the beauty of the stories you know there's this beautiful just restoration family delight feasting the father says it, it, it says the father wasn't even listening he was calling his servants quick bring a clean set of clothes and dress him put on the family ring on his finger sandals on his feet and then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. He was given up for dead and now he's alive. He's given up for lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. That's the part we focus on, right? The story of a repentant son and a generous, lavish, good, good father. But what's been drawing uh, my attention so much is the next portion of the story where it says, starting at verse 25, all this time, the older son, the older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard music and dancing, calling over one of the houseboys. He asked what was going on and he told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home safe and sound. And it says the older brother stalked off angry, sulking, refusing to join in. And I just paused there. The older brother was rejecting the story. He had no room for his younger brother to sin and to repent and come home. He had no room for the extravagant, unearned generosity. It wasn't fair. It wasn't just. And yet, we get into this dialogue. The older son says, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? And then this son of yours, who's thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out with a feast. I just hear this rejection, this ache of like, I've worked my ass off and you haven't celebrated me. And I see this isolation, I see this loneliness, this, this older brother that's really um, vindictive and below the vindictiveness, sorrowful, he's sad. He's not seeing his younger brother clearly. He, he doesn't have the resources inside of him to be an older brother. And for whatever reason, much of which we don't know, there's a rift between him and the father. And though he lives technically in his father's house, it doesn't seem like he's really received his father's love. I mean, I think what's so, what I'm learning again, like I, I just didn't, I didn't, wasn't equipped, but now to realize every one of Jesus's parables is set in the context of the stories handed down in the Jewish tradition. And so A, immediately if we were listeners, we would upload the story of Cain and Abel, and we're seeing this again, an, a vindictive older brother who yes. for whatever reason, you know, Cain did not have a revelation of the generosity of of God. You know, he really felt like, listen, if Abel celebrated, then I'm not. So you're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're uploading that story. But then we have to remember, I think, too, is that he's um, uploading 
always in the in the context is the original story of Adam and Eve because you know we can always ask the question of like how could Adam and Eve have believed the serpent when they had undiluted intimacy and communion with God yes. you know and I think it's interesting to not put our postmodern lenses on to the story of the, the prodigal son to first listen to it in the context of the story of Israel and realize they have the story of perfect union with God and two humans who were like, eh, I think there's something better for me. And we realized they didn't come up with that idea on their own. They had been fed these lies. So by, by, you know, by a rebellious spiritual being. And so I think it's interesting to realize, well, one thing at least that we can, we can consider is happening here is that both brothers, there had been an um, an inter- interrupter and an interpreter in 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 evil interpreting the father to them wrongly. Um, not necessarily that the father had failed them, but that just as Adam and Eve were convinced of lies about the heart of God, yes. these brothers had somehow been convinced of lies about who who their father was. Yes, and that that you know. Anyways, I'm just aware that that's at play um, when you're saying we don't know why, but there's a riff here. Right. Well, you know, it's, I'm aware of the context of, of Genesis for the story. But anyways, all that to say is for Jesus to tell this story and then to, by his death and resurrection, literally like undo the story and become the older brother who celebrates our homecoming, who goes actually, it would be like the older brother leaving the father's house to go find the younger brother and bring him back. Like, it's just incredible that this story is, Jesus tells it in in the context of his own literally leaving the father, having come from the father and knowing he'll come back, but he's here to find his younger siblings to rescue us, to bring us back to the father. So mm-hmm. it's just so stunning, his um, brilliance as a teacher and storyteller. It really is. Like you, I really appreciate you giving visibility to the supernatural and the evil because I would add to it, like, what are the lies being whispered to the brothers about each other? Yes. Well right? said, yeah. And just the enemy constantly trying to dismantle those sibling relationships. Yes. And if you don't think that's evident, just look around, right? right? Look at your relationships with your siblings. Look at your spouse's relationship with their siblings and look at the complexity of it. Like, look at what the the insinuations are. Look at the seasons of misunderstanding and, and just simply the misses. And so friends, like what we're trying to do is unpack, unearth might be a better word, the ache and longing. Yes. Right? You're made for this. You were made to have an older brother. You were made to be an older brother. Mm-hmm through the substantive experience of being brothered by an older sibling. This is a profoundly essential dimension of the spiritual life and of our formation as we commit together to become more mature and more wholehearted. And so I think what I'd love to do, um, I'd love to leave our listeners and ourselves with some homework with some very actionable steps. There's several categories that come to mind. The first, I wanna start with the idea of you're meant to be an older brother. And so look at how 
you have acted in that space. And don't go to shame, but go to curiosity, loving attention. Notice where have you withheld? Where have you been quick to judge or perhaps misunderstand? Where do you need to celebrate? Where you've really loved well. You know, I have a friend who's had a really tough relationship with his younger brother. And he's gone through a season of a lot of intentional loving care without much um, response and with not much reciprocation. And it's really beautiful to observe like his intention to sort of walk away from the old stories and the old narratives and this whole historic account of what they used to be. And instead say, here, I am here. We are now, this is our season. And because I have been given much, I want to love much. And so where, how is God inviting you to operate as a re being redeemed older brother? You know, the second category, Sherry and I have been talking about these two narrative tracks. It's so important to excavate our story, much of that through very particular lenses. One of my favorite books is Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Comedy, Tragedy, and Fairy Tale by Frederick Buechner. And what I so appreciate it, about it is it teaches you, it trains you to look at the gospel through different lenses. And if masculine initiation is meant to be the primary narrative arc, primary orientation and interpretive grid of our life, masculinity and femininity, then it serves us really well to practice looking at our life through different lenses, season by season, decade by decade. And so I wanna invite our listeners, write down on a piece of paper, what is the story of older brother in your story as far as God advocating for it, the positive? like your story, Sherry, of skiing and summertime friends with your older sister's friends. My story of being taught how to wax and detail a sports car and taught how to play poker, taught how to fly fish. Where did the face of God come to you in the form of an older brother? Where was God advocating for this role in your life? And how did you respond to it? Just this idea of the Jesus as our older brother in contrast to the Jesus, our advocate, in contrast to the older brother adversary that um, the fallen spiritual beings are. Mm, it's so good. So friends, that's our homework for you with those ideas in mind, to write it down, to work through it over time, to reflect, and to invite God into it in an intimate way. Where does he want to celebrate with you your response and participation as a younger brother in his life? And where does he want to heal and redeem and restore places where you and I have lived without this sus substance, the sustenance of the kingdom of God? Friends, these are deep waters. These are deep waters. 
But we believe that at this hour on the earth, this is an essential expression of recovering our life in God, this mutual indwelling, more of us in Christ and more of Christ in us. As Sherry said, Christ, the redeemer of the world, the rescuer, brings us back to family. And the invitation is to come home more deeply than we have ever known. And so with that, we wanna leave you with some more homework, some taking action. Cher, let's both pick one. What would you have for them to do? Sure, babe. Um, I invite us to immerse ourselves in the story of the two lost sons. And again, I, I think it's so profound to just look at the context of Luke 15, um, the woman searching for the lost coin and the shepherd searching for the lost sheep. So pay attention to those parables that flank you know, the story. And then if we kind of consider that idea of these, these brothers have been lied to about the nature of the father, the nature of their family, and the nature of each other. That, that And then we set that, okay, so for the, where do we notice our experience of the younger brother? Where do we notice the experience of the older brother? I know that's sometimes a common invitation when we read these parables, uh, or this parable in particular, is to look for the younger brother in us, look for the older brother. But I, I invite us to do it afresh. Where did the younger brother have a lie that the life of excitement, beauty, intimacy, and adventure had to happen outside the father's house? Where in our lives is perhaps the vision of the kingdom impoverished in a way that we really, on some deep level, believe if I really want to feel alive, to have beauty, intimacy, and adventure, I have to leave the Father's kingdom. Um, and, you know, so, and then it, for the older brother, the lie that really there wasn't beauty and intimacy and adventure for him in the Father's house either. There wasn't celebration, and that his brother was someone um, upon whom to discharge his unmet longings, his loneliness, his isolation. Where do we notice the older brother where we've been lied to about um, our younger siblings, that we're in competition with them, that if our father lavishes on our younger siblings, then that means less for us, mm. that there isn't delight for us in the father's eyes. Um, where have we been lied to in our relationship with the brethren, if you will, um, in the body of Christ and about the nature of the Father? So paying attention. And then also, what would we love as a younger sibling and as an older sibling? What do we need? What, is, what longings, unmet longings are, um, are both surface for both, in both cases? Mm. Sherry, there's so much richness in that. I, I I love it. I'm ready to go do that exercise. Mm -hmm. I mean, thank you. That's beautiful. I think, um, friends, I want to leave us with one final action step. So that's the first one. And as you share that, Sherry, it brings up a lot. I have to be honest. I just go, wow, where I've not yet become an older brother, how much I need of an older brother, how much I hope for, but am I gonna risk it? And so with that in mind, the second action, friends, I wanna invite you to expand as I have a very simple first daily prayer. This is my first prayer before I pee. 
before I get out of bed. If you've tracked with our teaching and lives, you'll know my first prayer was God father me. That became, became a daily prayer. And now, I don't know, 15 years, we've been going on that prayer every day. I don't miss. The first thing I say is, God, you are my father and I am your son. And I invite you to father me today. Years ago, I added to that, and you are my mother and I'm your son. And I invite you to mother me today. Over the last couple months, I've been adding to that, Jesus, you are my older brother. I invite you to brother me today. And what I'm seeing is this expansive personal invitation to begin each day anew and afresh with rooting my life in God. Not just this vague idea of God, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is family. God is Trinitarian reality. God is the safest home for my masculine soul. And so it's as simple as God, I receive you as father, as mother, as brother today. Help me to receive it. Help me to believe it. Heal my unbelief and help me to walk in it so that I might love others as if it were so. Try it on. It takes a very small amount of time, but it'll change everything. Friends, thank you. It's a privilege to visit your world in this way with this podcast. We don't take it lightly, and I am committed to never produce a podcast that I don't believe is worth your time. I take it very seriously. I take it with immense joy and privilege to visit your world and to walk with you as we all walk with God and prepare for the great homecoming and the restoration of all things. As we close this podcast, I invite you to take these 90 seconds and I wanna offer two things. Who is it in your world that needs an older brother? How could you manifest that? And who would you wanna pass this podcast on as a way of hope, as a declaration that there's more than you have been led to believe? And how is it that you are desperate to receive more of Christ as an older brother? Take 90 seconds, enjoy God practice confidence in him. He's faithful to provide everything he promised. We'll see you back on another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast.